Welcome back to For the Love of Men podcast. My name is Courtney Shand, and I'm hosting with my dear friend, Brianna Mosier. Hi. The intention of the show is to bring together men and women to create healthy, polarized relationship dynamics by learning how to honor each other's natural, masculine, and feminine energetic core. We have some really juicy convo happening today. I'm really excited for it. But first, I want to introduce you to my dear friend, Brie, because she is amazing, and this is absolutely highlighting her zone of genius thank you i'm so happy to be back with you i'm just sitting here like oh it feels so good to record you don't know this because the podcast we divvy them out for you in two weeks but we took a little mini break we both had birthdays and things going on in our personal lives we got ahead of it and it feels so good to sit here with my friend and record and we got a a few nice messages over the last few weeks those of you saying how the podcast was resonating and it Filled my tank. Did you feel similarly? Oh, oh my gosh. It was like, <gasps> I was over, like, ready. This is working. Yep. I want to make more content yes. for free. Yes. <laughs> Just because it feels like our souls need to. Yep. Yep. And so the yeah, the feedback is just so encouraging, but also it is very motivating for us that, mm. like, there's not free content like this at this level. I mean, there is, but, you know, it, it's worth having very in-depth content available a hundred percent and it's so fun it's so fun and i yeah i'm i know i didn't answer your question now i will tell the people my magic in the world but um it just means a lot it really Mm -hmm. does because often we sit here and talk to each other and we think to ourselves oh my god it's gonna help so many people i wish i knew this when i was in that position but the feedback loop isn't always immediate you know, you don't know what's landing or what resonates. So when you reach out and tell us, mm-hmm. like we got a message this this yesterday that said, my husband and I have been married for 15 years and this has opened up a whole new level of communication for us. I felt so humbled and so energized. It fed my soul. Like I want to get back in there. I want to record. I want to do more. What can we create? Yes. So thank you. It, yeah. it means a lot that you take the time out of your day to, to share that you listen and that you mm-hmm. value our work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. On that note, if it's something that is resonating, please rank it, uh, rate it, sorry, rate it. That helps us rank and get out to more people. So give it a five-star review, whatever feels honest to you. Mm-hmm. Any feedback that you have, we welcome. If you want to do that privately, feel free to DM us. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, yeah, that's the biggest way that you can support our work is sharing it with people that you know and trust and love and also giving it a rating. Mm. And sharing it in your Instagram stories or with your friends or on, do people use Twitter? I don't use Twitter. Maybe that's I don't use it, I'm revealing yes. <clears throat> that I'm millennial. Uh, on Twitter, <laughs> on Facebook, <laughs> wherever. But when you share it, it means the world. And when you personally share it, which we have heard from so many of you that you do, mm-hmm. thank you. Yeah. Truly. Yeah. Is there more? That's it. Okay. I just echo what you say. <laughs> it's all right. I'm like, yes, yes, all yes. the things. Um, okay, my work in the world is, as many of you know, helping driven, ambitious women both grow their companies through embracing their empowered feminine energy and attract healthy, juicy, polarized, chemistry-filled emphasis on the healthy love and empowered masculine partners. And as Courtney said, this is this topic is really near and dear to my heart because it was my experience for two years. I was in a relationship with a narcissist. And so many of my clients now are women who 
are recovering from or getting out of or in a new healthy relationship and going like, what do I do with my hands? Mm -hmm. Like all these coping mechanisms I've learned to survive an abuse no longer apply in this healthy dynamic. And they're actually really hindering our intimacy. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. How do I override my whole body when I'm programmed to survive in a toxic environment? And I have goosebumps. I mean, I've done that work. And I help my clients do that all the time. And they've gone on to have healthy, successful relationships. And so I'd be honored if you'd like support in that. You can always reach out directly. And sex, love, and intimacy. So anything related to unleashing your sex, unleashing your sexuality, that sounds aggressive, uh, and embracing that part of yourself, that's my background as well. I've been formally trained um, in sex, love, and intimacy coaching. Courtney is also a brilliant feminine energy mentor. Thank you. Closet, brilliant dietitian, relationship Thank coach. Thank you. I'm stealing your thunder, but me, my friend, she's brilliant. Tell the people how brilliant you are. Thank you. <laughs> sure. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, I love actually helping women elevate above the survival energy that gets us mm. stuck. That does play out in our physiology, how we feel about our body, how we treat our body, how we care for our body. On a very visceral level, our feminine energy gets kind of closed in in this survival state. And so I really help women getting above that into this elevated paradigm that we talk about all the time, this empowered feminine paradigm where you are in charge of your life and opening your heart with healthy boundaries. It's a big part of my work. I do help men and women finding healthy love by integrating more of their masculine energy, really activating that so that you feel safe and protected within your own body and within your own space in the world so that you get to play a bigger game. You get to experience more than just surviving at the end of the day. Mm. You get to really enjoy your life and thrive and that bring that into all of your relationships creatively as well as romantically and physically. So, so good. I know. I love it. I love it. I get so much energy from that. So we have so much to add yes. together today and I'm really excited to dive in. Me too. And you've had, me too, your heartburn, like you've had male clients now, correct? Yes. How exciting. Oh, I am loving working with the masculine. My masculine clients are actually some of the most thoughtful um, responders to my content. Mm. It's been wild. Like I love mm. working with women, but also having male clients, they bring a whole new element of like, you know what? That's a great point. I hadn't expands you as well. Yeah, I hadn't yeah. explained that, but here's the thing. So it's really like rounding out my content and mm. I love using similar content for both because it works really well for a couple, but it also works really well if you're on either side of the dating table. It's so exciting. I know. Thank you. I forgot. Yeah. Not forgot. I I remember, but thank you for mentioning it. You're welcome. It's my job to give you the layups. Thank you. Shots for. Okay. It's narcissism part 2. Okay. We left off, if my notes are correct, chatting about uh, victim-perpetrator-rescuer triangle, which I know I kind of mentioned a few times in the episode, but I'll just briefly cover it again. With narcissism, someone who has NPD, if you've not listened to part one, go back and listen to part one. It's vital. This won't make sense. It won't be a full understanding if you start here. So go back to part one. Yep. Okay, so victim, rescuer, perpetrator is kind of like this triangle that happens with narcissism where they're playing all three roles. At first, it can feel like, depending on what side of the codependency coin you're on, 
it can all be activating. They can play the victim, help me, I can't do it. Um, I'm not capable. I don't have the same resources, skill set that you might. And a codependent person is going to see that and go, I can fix you. I can save you. I can help you. Mm -hmm. In the same breath, they also end up being the perpetrator where they're also attacking, taking advantage, uh, manipulating this person, often creating on purpose problems, issues, conflict in the relationship that they then get to play savior from Mm -hmm. and be the rescuer and fix you from. So um, it's kind of like they become the rainmaker and then they bring you the umbrella all the time. But then once you have the umbrella, I don't have an umbrella. What am I going to do? It's like that sort of twisted dynamic and they're the one generating the rain. That's Mm. how it feels. And so the felt experience of being with a narcissist is like I like to what direction am I supposed to pivot? And sometimes you pivot in the way that's right, meaning you don't get punished as much. And sometimes you'd pivot in the way that's wrong and it's more punishment. And there's no right or wrong way because no matter what you do, that person can shape shift which role they're in and you can't win. It's a, it's a no win situation, no matter what. Woo. Mm. That's exhausting. Are you part stressed? Of the, I'm stressed. Yeah, I'm like... <laughs> Sweating. Yeah. Um, part of the empowered paradigm that we always talk about from early episodes is the win-win dynamic is indicative of someone that's in their elevated, empowered energy mm. that has integrated enough of that um, sense of self that they don't have to be rescued. They get to be helped and served as well as of service. Mm-hmm. And that's a clean balance. That's so funny that, uh, I mean, I know the drama triangle is... Um, something that I always talk about with the codependent side of things. I haven't really considered it in narcissism narcissism as mm-hmm. like its own microcosm. Yes, 100%. And ooh, is there more to that? No. Relationally, this will play out too. So those who are familiar with triangulation, this is um, a form of manipulation where that person is basically manipulating your close relationships to try to isolate you. But it can be a different flavor. Like in codependency, you mm-hmm. can you know disclose to the wrong people and kind of, and maybe you can speak about that after if that feels fun to you. But okay. not fun. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> but well, that's one of my like go tos. Is if that feels fun to you, and I just realized it's not the right word to use here. Um, what was I saying? Oh, relationally. So a narcissist might come in as, how do I say? The okay. Here's a. I won't use totally my personal example, but this happened many times throughout the dynamic for me. That person, this person would come in and do something really offensive, terrible. Any person would go, that's making me really uncomfortable. Other people around me would bring that behavior up. I would go to this person and then they would play victim. Well, I only do that because X, Y, Z, because I'm stressed out, because it's a new environment, because I'm, you weren't supporting me, because your family is toxic, like blame shifting, right? That's the only reason I did that. I'm really the victim. And then they would try to get me to get rid of those relationships to save me from those toxic people ruining our romantic relationship. Does that make sense? So you've got, you've got perpetrator who then plays victim, who then is like, let me rescue you from all these people who are clearly toxic. It's the projection when he's being the toxic one, but projects it onto them. Ooh. If you can, if you don't have language for this, it's such a confusing, disorientating experience, 
And the same format can play out with different subjects, people, moments over and over again. And all of a sudden you're like, where are my, where is my support system? Because now I, I think all these people are out to get me when none of them really were. It was always this person. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It gets intense. Gee. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. So with codependency, when you talk about victim, perpetrator, rescuer, how does the drama triangle play out? Well, I, as I was thinking about that, it's easy to want to be... When, when I'm talking about the drama triangle with people, it's um, most of the time people tend to find themselves in the victim role. That's usually where the codependent part of us goes. It's like, but I, why can't I do this? And mm. it can be really empowering actually to shift the triangle a little bit and see how are these different players actually experiencing and being experienced mm. by you. You can take a lot of your power back from that victim role when you shift the dynamic and take that person out of the villain role, mm. you unhook from the drama and say, actually, you know what, you're just doing the best you can and it doesn't meet my needs. Mm. I now have my agency back and I'm going to move. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or if you're finding yourself stabilizing the whole situation to shift yourself out of that dynamic and see like, okay, you know what, the situation is not going to change. Again, I'm taking my power back from this mm-hmm. drama that gets circulated a little bit. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take my power back and do something different and create a different outcome. Mm. So a lot of times with drama, that's how I help clients kind of see how they need to be taking action on their own on their own behalf. You're giving them agency. Yes. Versus which, mm-hmm. for the which for someone who's more on the codependent spectrum, self Sovereignty and agency is what is typically lacking. That empowered masculine energy is really what's needed to cut through the drama to help you have satisfying relationship dynamics and to help you move forward in your life and not continually find yourself in the victim or the martyr role. Mm-hmm. Not, yeah. that, not that it's bad, but like you just have a perspective shift so that you can see things clearly mm-hmm. and then you naturally are going to take different action. A hundred percent. Because in that, when you're living out that dynamic with that person and they are kind of playing God and pulling those strings, that's really what it feels like. If you had a sense of age, if I had had a sense of agency like I do now, I would have left like after the first, like I wouldn't have even entertained the text conversation because mm. now I can smell it. But I didn't have, I didn't know. I like mm-hmm. didn't have empowered masculine. I was very codependent not knowing that I didn't have strong self-worth or boundaries. Mm. It was true naivety. I mean, I was 21, mm-hmm. you know? like <laughs> mm-hmm. So you do the best you can. But Courtney's right. If I had something like that, someone saying, where are your boundaries? Where is your agency? I would have been very different in that dynamic. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's also important that it's not uh, – it doesn't need to add shame. Mm. Awareness, a lot of times we use to shame ourselves. Mm-hmm. when the reality is, is awareness is where your power's at. Yeah. You just take it back and say, okay, thank you. I make that a rule in some of my programs. Oh, I love that. I tell people, in like in Soft and Secure and Inside Out, I tell them, this is going to trigger you. Mm. And we have to all make a promise that we are not shaming ourselves because we just didn't know any better. Everybody needs to raise their hands right now. <laughs> when we talk about like ways that uh, women can emasculate men, mm. it's so it can be so feel so shameful because yeah. you're like, God, I've been doing all these things. Yep. yep. No shame. Yep. That is funny. I, I tell clients that too. Awareness really? awareness has a tendency to want to creep in shame. Mm-hmm. 
And the reality is it's just awareness. Let it be neutral. So and you didn't have it before you had it. And yep. Now you do. <laughs> and now you have it. Um, okay, so that's the triangle. That's a review of the triangle. There's also two different types. There's many types of narcissism depending on who's teaching it. And honestly, it's such a developing field. Um, but overt narcissism and covert narcissism is important to discern because often covert narcissists can go undetected for a while. And I find that women who are with covert narcissists have a distinct felt experience, but they don't trust their body. So because it's covert, they're like, God, this feels bad. This feels off. But what is it? Because people think NPD is this really arrogant person who sucks up all the air in the room and only speaks highly of themselves and is this grandiose sense of self-importance. That's more overt narcissism. With covert narcissism, and by the way, all these links are in the notes if you want to read these yourself, but I'm going to give you some examples um, they might seek admiration indirectly by putting their own work down. Oh, mm. I'm not really that good. My podcast isn't really that great. It's like, what, what's the thing you always do? Like this motion? Yes. <laughs> yes. No, stop. Stop. My podcast isn't great. <laughs> that kind of thing, which isn't, but we're doing it in a silly way, but it's all the time. Again, they play victim so that they can get that sense of importance fed from mm. other people. Um, or they'll perform acts of kindness, emphasis on the perform piece. It's not true. Um, or complimenting others to get compliments back. Or these covert ways of like, yeah. you're so amazing in business, Brie. You wouldn't be here if it wasn't for me. That kind of like, wait, Ooh. what just happened? Like a backhanded compliment? <laughs> yes. Like a neg? Again, I can laugh about it now because I'm you know, I've done my work and I'm far enough removed that it's like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> like what? But it's very painful when you're in it. Um, so these type of people who are covert narcissists can spend a lot of time fantasizing about earning recognition. Like they feel like they're so special in the world isn't seeing them. Mm. Not from a humility standpoint, from a way of like beef me up. I'm more valuable than anyone's recognizing. And I'm a victim to the world because the world doesn't recognize how great I am. That's the energy. Um, they expect special treatment and feel slighted when they don't receive it. I remember like one instance where uh, this person had a hair appointment and the person... Did I tell this in the first episode? This sounds familiar. Yeah. And they were five minutes late and he went off. You should be here five minutes early for me that kind of entitlement when like five to 10 minutes is pretty human. Yeah. That's you know? in the realm of humanness. So yes. this is overt. We're in the overt. This is covert. This well, is covert. I mean, you could see all of these, I'm sure in the overt as well. Okay. You know, but these are more subtle ways where you go. I mean, they were late, but like, is it really justified to yell at that person that way over that? You know? Gotcha. So the, the covert part is that, the hint of doubt of like, well, you're not wrong. They are objectively late. And does that merit yeah. this level of frustration or irritation? Yeah. And with covert narcissism too, this wasn't always my experience, but, but a client of mine described it to me as they can stay very calm as they're gaslighting you, as they're blame shifting. Like, well, really, if you weren't so damaged you wouldn't be responding this way. You just really need help. You know, it's like you expect somebody to be 
you shouldn't respond this way, you need help, you're so broken, but their demeanor, they do like this. So you go, you look like you're trying to help me, but like, that's not true at all about me. Right. You know? Mm. So it's the mismatch. Again, the mismatch of this doesn't feel right, this doesn't register in my body. Yeah, Something's I mean, off. that's going to be present with both, but with overt narcissism, they're going to be more um, outward about it. Like, let's all talk about my accomplishments. Gotcha. Let's all give me special treatment. Um let me talk about how great I am at what I do and all my employees appreciate me and all my friends love me and they, I'm always the best man in people's weddings. They, like they flaunt it more. Covert, they might put themselves down to try to get. Gotcha. You know, but both of those things can be done once or twice and or not even once or twice, infrequently and just be human. Let's be clear. This is That's not diagnosing you as a narcissist uh, or your partner. If some of you were thinking, well, my partner does that. My partner puts themselves down to receive. Yeah. So do I. Yeah. (laughs) Sometimes that is my MO too. Sometimes we all do. This is chronic across all environments with lots of different types of people, Mm. different moods. Like this is who this person is through and through. Not when you're having a wounded moment or your partner's having a wounded moment. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, Okay, often narcissists, I'll just tell you these next few and then we'll move on, um, can hold lengthy grudges, fantasize about revenge, and ignore people, like cut off. They say, you know, it's discarding is what it's called with narcissism. When the narcissist finally lets you go, they've discarded you because you are no longer a valuable and viable supply to them. Did we talk about narcissistic supply? Okay, so narcissistic supply is somebody to feed their energy, their sense of importance, their sense of control, their sense of power, which is why narcissists are very rarely ever alone because they need someone else to continually be feeding that in them. Um, So often, if you're starting to kind of wake up to what's happening, it's not uncommon. If you're waking up or if you've left, it's not uncommon for the narcissist to move on very fast And it's easy to take that personal as the codependent on the other end for obvious reasons, Mm -hmm. but it's not personal. That person, someone with NPD needs somebody else to be feeding them at all times. Mm -hmm. And that's why they might start putting someone in their back pocket as they start to notice the relationship is fading, which is deeply painful when you're the codependent or you see you've been broken up for two weeks and they're dating someone else and you're like, what? We were together for however many years and they're already moved on. Not about you. Mm. It's about their own wounds playing out and their own need for supply. Mm. Yeah. I want to caveat this because I think that because it's my job to bring in the empowered spectrum here, Mm -hmm. I think there is a difference. I had a conversation with a client about this. There's a difference of moving on quickly because you're focused on what you want and this relationship was not meeting your boundaries. Yes. This was not your relationship, and I feel clean moving forward. There's not a time rule mm-hmm. around how quickly you move forward. I think the difference is that it was a mismatch of understood connection, and this person has like a backup plan in mind, so they have no gap, period. They mm-hmm. haven't clarified what they're looking for in a relationship. They're just needing someone. It's- like, is, that, is that fair to say? It's like we always say, where is it coming from, wounded or empowered? Yeah. The action isn't the problem. Yep. Are you empowered moving on because you have clarity? Yes. Or are you wounded moving on because you don't want to be alone? Thank you. Yep. Yep. Cool. Brilliant. I'm glad you said that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, because I think it can be, it obviously is going to be painful to watch 
someone move on because it is painful. And to be the person that moves on, it is still uncomfortable. And mm-hmm. for a lot of my clients, something that they have to really get behind is like, you're deserving of your desires. I think you'd say that to your yeah. clients too. Like you deserve a healthy, happy relationship. And when one doesn't work out, it doesn't mean that you have to go into mourning. Mm-hmm. You can, you know, grieve the ways that that wasn't it and use that as clarity and fuel to keep you moving in the direction that you're intended to be going, mm-hmm. regardless of their feelings. And I think that's the nuance part. You don't have to be responsible for, you know, um, the way that they feel watching you move on that after you've been dating for a little while. Is that making sense how I'm saying that? And the codependent doesn't The codependent feel? doesn't have to feel overly responsible. Like I need to go into, you know, a year long space of mourning. Mm. If you, if you are an elevated, empowered feminine, you have your empowered masculine, empowered feminine, pretty integrated. Mm-hmm. It's likely that you will move forward More with quickly. less time. Yeah. That's been my experience. I think that's been your experience yeah. too, where you just have clarity yeah. and you can just say without taking it personally, this just wasn't, it didn't work. I feel very sad. I learned a lot mm-hmm. and I'm moving forward. That's different than what you're saying. A hundred percent. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. Mm -hmm. That was my experience, even in leaving that relationship, which was deeply abusive and changed me. Uh, And I started dating within a couple months. And we could do a whole episode about this, but like, and my clients often find this too. They're like, I just, I want to start dating again. And they often express, I want to feel loved, cared, Mm. seen for. And you are so deprived of that when you leave a narcissist, like, cause it's never really, and I know this is hard to hear. It's never really like true deep love. A lot of it is almost like an exchange. Like you're validating their power, sense of existence, sense of self-worth to them. Mm-hmm. There's not real emotional intimacy because the codependent is never truly seen or love for who they are in that dynamic. And I think that craving becomes so enormous by the time you leave a narcissist that a lot of my clients express just being around the safe man. You know, we have to be careful that they don't jump right back in Mm -hmm. because they find a safe man and they go, I haven't felt this way in so long. It feels so good to be loved and respected and cared for. And I know that feeling. Mm -hmm. I remember the first few people I dated I had just moved to now. I mean, we'll talk about my personal story at another time, but mm-hmm. the safety that I felt and I went, it's almost like you don't know that you're dehydrated until you start drinking water. Yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, I just didn't know what I was missing. Why was I there? It's a, anyway. Mm. All right. I'm getting off topic, yep. but they'll move on very quickly because their sense of self-worth comes from controlling, possessing, manipulating another person that gives them a sense of I'm powerful, Mm. I play God sort of thing. Um, So don't take it personally. Once they, what's called, discard you, that's when you'll stop getting the messages and things like that. And maybe we do an episode on exit strategies because I help my clients with that a lot. Could be powerful. Um, Gray rocking and and cutting off contact and things like that. It's easier in a one-to-one setting because there's often other factors involved. Okay, I'm gonna go down the rabbit hole if I don't clean, if I don't pull myself back in. <laughs> Just a wealth of knowledge. Yes, too many things. I want to talk about this love bomb that turns into the slow drip of abuse. That would be 
great to clarify. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. Yeah. So in the beginning of dating a narcissist, it's going to feel probably amazing. Like they don't present as manipulative and abusive and putting you down or you wouldn't be there. You know, Mm -hmm. often a narcissist is going to come in really strong with a lot of love affirmation, promises, promises of safety. I've never felt this way. You're incredible. How are you still single? Everything about you is perfect. Let's go on these big fancy trips or let me introduce you to my family. And it's all so fast. Again, don't get caught up on timing because if it's empowered and appropriate, I mean, I have family members who got married after two weeks and they're madly in love, but it's the place that it's coming from, Mm -hmm. you know? And so depending on the person, they might be buying you lots of things, taking you lots of places, making these promises that, and, but something feels off in your gut and you, I can't explain it. You just know, especially women's intuition, you just know, and you feel like something is off. They might be saying things like, I can't wait to marry you. I want you to have my babies like too soon, a few weeks, a few months to have that level of commitment. Um, do you want to say anything else about love bombing court? Anything else? Um, No, I think this is absolutely your Mm. zone. Well, I'll say from the empowered spectrum, there is a difference in what I would say love bombing. And I think that there's a lot of uh, second guessing that happens, especially, and it makes total sense if this has been an experience you've had, Mm. but there seems to be a lot of second guessing, like, is he love bombing me or is this an empowered masculine man? And my experience Mm. with empowered masculine men is there's a consistency to them. It's a... Uh, like the waves of the ocean is how I describe it to my clients. Like they're always going to come touch your feet. The waves will. The waves yes. will always come back and touch your feet. It's not a like tidal wave tsunami feeling where like, well, now I'm going to go swimming. Mm. That's, I, that's and, and maybe you can speak more to that experientially. But for me, that feeling is what I'm always looking for with clients is there's a slow, consistent, gradual progression well said. Mm-hmm. And kind of like getting in a pool. It's not like pushing you in the deep end. It really is like a titration of uh, intimacy consistently over time. Yes, 100%. With empowered masculine, I also find that they take their time for commitment or to say things like that because they're really behind it, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. They might tell you that you're wonderful and amazing, but they value commitment. Yeah. They won't rush into it like mm-hmm. that. Um, you could also get a man who's wounded feminine who rushes into commitment. So that's when you have Courtney or me in your back pocket and you get to share all these nuanced details. And some of it we just can't do in a pod. To be honest, we just can't do it in a podcast. Yeah. Um, but, but what really discerns wounded masculine, which is not the same as MPD, but wounded masculine, which someone with MPD is going to have a lot of wounded masculine energy, is when you set a boundary. How does this person respond when I set a boundary? When I say, that doesn't really feel good to me, or I can't come that weekend. I know you really want me to, but I can't come. Or um, I really want to try XYZ in the bedroom. This isn't working for me. How does that person respond? Do they push back, shame you, blame shift, guilt you into it? You're not, the the troubling part is you're not going to know probably until you experience this person for a while. Eventually you'll have a a visceral sixth sense. Mm -hmm. You just feel it. Mm -hmm. 
And it's often a slow drip from the love bomb situation into the abuse. So let me explain that because this is the part. It's hard to articulate, but I can do it. I believe in you. <laughs> Thank you. It's like, I was explaining this to Courtney before we started recording, this money analogy. It's like when you start dating them as if they're giving you $100 bills, they're giving you compliments, they want to commit to you, they love you, you're the greatest thing ever, they give you special treatment, and they're just passing out hundreds. And then you do something that kind of bothers them or they start the slow drip and they're wanting to move into manipulation. Let's say you say, no, I can't come that weekend no matter how much it means to that person, you have to say no. Well, now they only give you 50. Now they're just giving you 50s. And then eventually they throw in another 100, so you're like, okay, well, it's good, I'm still being fed, but it's mostly 50s now, right? Now that you guys have solved things. And then you do something else that they've decided they want to start asserting their power again. And so you're being punished and they're only giving you $25 bills. But once you're past the conflict, past the conflict, they'll give you 50s again, but 25s and 50s. And in your head, you're thinking, is it gonna go back ever to how it was when I got hundreds? This person can give me hundreds. I felt amazing when they were giving me hundreds, but now they're mostly giving me 50s and 25s. But if I just hold out, they might come back and do more. But then something else happens. Now they're giving you tens. And you're like, well, I'm still being fed, but this feels really bad. But they get, then they throw in a 50. Then they take you on a trip. Then you're amazing again. Things are good for two weeks. And then you get in a fight. Now you're getting fives. Like the abuse gets worse. The love and affection is pulled away. There's not respect. But then they give you a hundred. And it becomes this kind of, what am I going to get? How do I figure out how to be the person they need in order for me to get those hundreds again and feel good? Wow. And that's where the shape-shifting begins. The difference being when conflict arises, both people will have to tend to themselves. You may not have $100 to give in that moment because mm-hmm. I need you know, I need 50. I can give you 50. Mm-hmm. But we ideally would want to return back to hundreds. Hundreds. Yes. If but you're you don't. never going back to the neutral set point, that's where the, the red flag is. And I remember hearing, I forget who said it. He basically had a rule that I have kind of kept in the back of my mind too. And it was the 10% rule. So imagine over the last 90 days, what percentage would you give your, or the last 10% of your relationship? So if you've been together for a year, the last 36 days, how great have you felt? Hmm. It's always going to keep you progressing, moving forward and keep you, give you some parameters, very measurable parameters uh, with which to say, am I, am I thriving? Is this relationship actually functional and healthy or is it toxic for me? Mm. Which as before we started, I was saying that was so validating for me to realize that a relationship can be toxic for me and not necessarily be an assigned set of rules, probably very similar to this. It's a felt experience. And the more that you can trust yourself, that's the green flag. The red flag is how often you feel like you have to override your Mm. internal cues to make it work. That's the toxicity. It's not necessarily a behavior thing. The energetics of it is how, how much of myself do I have to abandon in order to make this work? I would smash a hole through this table. Like, that would have great that was. That was good. And can I add one more thing? Of course. Also your show. (laughs) I'm part of the show too. Uh, And they don't have to have NPD for it to be toxic for you. That's the thing is I think people hear this Mm -hmm. and 
pick, oh, 60% of that my partner does, so he must be narcissistic or Mm -hmm. have narcissistic traits or have NPD, therefore Mm -hmm. it's toxic. And it's like, let's just give you permission to separate that and not label that person because also to protect those people, if if you've told them they're a narcissist and they aren't and they're self-reflecting, number one, (laughs) they're not a narcissist, they're self-reflecting, but people feel that and it's impactful and it creates wounding. To me, I just, I will die on this hill. We don't want to use this word that has meaning to so many people randomly. Oh, they're just a narcissist. No, I know what that feels like. Mm -hmm. Let's dig deeper because they could Mm -hmm. be unhealthy. They could have a lack of emotional skill set to be in a relationship. They could be wounded masculine. But do they have a personality disorder? Do you really know that? I wouldn't use the word. Mm-hmm. And then it also, on a personal note, insults all the people who have dealt with someone who has NPD. And it's like, if you're throwing this around, it's kind of invalidating my experience, which is much different than what they're describing, yeah. you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> okay. We went off Trusting topic. yourself. Again, Trust I think yourself. that's the, the key. If you hear nothing else, mm-hmm. your felt experience is correct learning to trust it is the art it's enough information that's Mm -hmm. really what it comes down to it's enough information yeah with awareness to your triggers of course and where Mm -hmm. your anxiety and 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 trauma kind of makes things a bigger deal than they are but again that's a rabbit hole we just can't get down yeah we'll get lost in it like alice in wonderland (laughs) Okay, so the love bomb is you're so amazing, you're so great, everything's wonderful until things start as a slow drip is what I would articulate that experience. If things start changing, you start to feel confused, you don't believe yourself. You're probably being told, if you look on the website that I linked, 26 Signs of Covert Abuse, highly recommend, that was vital for me. Uh, You're probably being told you're too dramatic, you're too sensitive, you're overreacting to being gaslit a lot, you're being told it's your fault. And so you think, well, I'm deserving of only 50s. Well, I'm deserving of only 25s. I used to hear, this is just how relationships are. You don't know because you're only 21, but I'm 11 years older than you. I know this is how relationships are. So you gaslight yourself. No relationship's perfect. Which is perfect. Which, yeah, as we said, there's enough truth for you to be like, well, you're not wrong. And this doesn't feel right. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. There's enough of a kernel of the truth. And when you're often, when you have a codependency wound, Mm -hmm. you give people too much benefit of the doubt with a loss of self and a sacrifice of your body, what she's telling you, what feels good for you. Mm -hmm. So you lean toward compassion and you go, well, I can see why I could be a little bit demanding. That makes sense. I'll work on that. Yeah. And then you start shape-shifting into somebody who is always succumbing to his demands because you're afraid of being demanding. And it, and it, it can be like that with every characteristic about you. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people don't know that they're being abused when they're in this situation because of the significance of the gaslighting. And the way that things feel kind of true but aren't. It only became apparent to me when I would... Sorry, we've got a little traffic outside if you can hear it. That's all right. 
recycling's being picked up. Recycling. It only became true to me when I would start sharing with my safe and trusted people who I knew in the back of my head had been through abuse, what was going on and their honest reactions of being devastated for me, mortified, confused, trying to help me bolster. Like, And they were grounded people. They weren't friends that were always like, oh, fuck him. He's the worst. But they were friends who were like, Brie, like, this just isn't who I know you to be. Mm. I would never tolerate that from my partner. I don't think you're wrong at all. And they would keep bolstering me, mm. to which the partner at the time would say, they're preventing your growth. They're not letting you see yourself clearly. That's how confusing it is. I was saying to Courtney when we weren't recording, it's such a hard thing to articulate because it's a visceral experience. Mm-hmm. And often words fail because you could cherry pick any of these words and call them human characteristic, but it's, you know, in wounded moments, but it's pervasive. Okay. Mm. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Something was coming to me and then it lost. That's so all right. It'll come back. You want me to keep rambling yep. and you can? Yep. Okay. <laughs> so we have That's how it works. Um, so... A narcissist will often make you believe that you are the problem. And I, I find that's a big reason why a lot of women stay. They're confused. I don't recommend, let me just say this, telling the narcissist that they're a narcissist because often when you do that, they'll start learning what narcissism looks like and then telling you that you're doing all those things and it furthers the confusion. So then you think you're the narcissist. I, I don't recommend it even when you're leaving. And it's so hard because you want to be heard now that you get it. Mm-mm. You got to... you. It has to be about you protecting yourself at that point, you know? Um, So, yeah, they'll often make you believe that you're the problem. And then the other thing is I find that people gaslight themselves out of emotional abuse because it's not physical abuse. And so they think it's really not that bad. And here's the thing nobody tells you. Abusive relationships are not all bad. There are moments where you feel like you're getting 50s. You feel like you're getting... 75, not even. You feel like you're getting 25s. You know, there are moments that are good where you're happy, where they shower you with love. They know how to play to what feeds you, where they they show you a glimmer of hope. And that's what you hold on for. But you don't realize, hey, the standard used to be 100 mm. or 1,000, right? And now I'm getting a fraction. And now I feel bad about myself all the time and I'm anxious and I don't trust myself and I don't like myself and I don't like life anymore. Like tune into what is your felt experience in life being with this person because it's not all bad. And narcissists will definitely put on a front to all people who don't know them. So being on their arm can feel really great. You know, they'll like my experience was it bolsters my accomplishments, how amazing I am how beautiful I am, how accomplished I am. And I would feel like this is so great. I have a partner who supports me. But then behind closed doors, the only reason you're successful is because of how I've helped you. You're so broken. You're so damaged. Like, But to the public, it shows up one way, you know? Mm. And it's not that way behind the scenes. And, and that's, again, where women gaslight themselves, or, or men gaslight themselves. But MPD, we know, is majority. It's about 75% of people with MPD are men. Interesting. I was going to ask, how does this play into um, gender? What's the sp- the yeah yeah split? Because I I do know, and I don't want to act naive that there are not these behaviors happening in women too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I hear a lot about narcissistic mothers. Yes. The female narcissist. There's a lot of uh, 
of that talk as well. What are your thoughts on that? Um, Anna Delvey, did you watch that? No. On Netflix, that's a great example of female narcissist. You can see, like, that was pretty... When I was fresh off, that was hard to... Well, that came out much later, so it wasn't fresh off. But I think I watched it in a moment where I had, like... For some reason, I was in a wounded spot, and I felt like, oh, this is so hard to watch. Ooh, yeah. This is a woman who manipulated a bunch of people into giving her money and, you know, used a lot of the tactics. But by far and large, what we know from data is that narcissism is 75% men. Could it be underreported? Sure. Is it probably vastly underreported by all people? Yeah, but the the general spread is 75% men. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay, so who would you have to be? If you were to stay in a relationship with a narcissist, who would you have to be to survive? Well, I'm just guessing, but Mm -hmm. since we've already said that you don't trust yourself, Mm -hmm. like that is a special kind of torture. And I, I see this a lot in my clients. I would say that since I've worked historically mostly with women, that a lot of women struggle with that already. Mm. To live in that chronically is like painful. Mm-hmm. That is painful. That's exactly physically, what it is. emotionally, mentally, just painful. Yes, a hundred percent. If you are with a narcissist and you choose to stay, because I know how deep the attachment wound can feel, and really they've programmed you, they've played on that attachment wound, so it's increased if you had any inkling of anxious attachment before the whole thing's now exacerbated so that's why it can feel harder to leave but if you choose to stay who you have to be is this shape-shifting person all the time you have to lose all sense of yourself your wants and your needs you don't get to be right you have to always listen to what that person says and be their kind of play-doh that can mold at any moment There's no empathy or validation for your feelings. There's certainly no emotional intimacy. You'll never have it. You'll never feel their heart. They'll never feel yours. You become an object of possession if you are to stay. And the comorbidity of people who experience narcissistic abuse that also have CPTSD, who have anxiety, depression, Mm -hmm. suicidal, suicidal thoughts, alcoholism, drug abuse it's significant because it's no way for any human to live so if you decide to stay that's the exchange that you make to survive because if you fight it if you stand up for yourself if you have a sense of self if you you know show up as an empowered woman they're gonna leave because you're not manipulatable uh, or you're gonna leave because you're not manipulatable and you're unhappy so you have to stay in your most wounded state And I'll tell you what someone told me when I was deep in it. People like this don't get better. And I'd heard that from coaches, but also professionals and therapists when I was trying to figure out what was going on. People who are narcissistic do not change. Can they? Is it possible? Sure. But there's no real data or person saying they've recovered from this because you'd have to break the veil of narcissism by self-reflecting and developing empathy and realizing the impact you have on people. And that's what narcissism is, is a lack of empathy and all focused on self-gain, you know? So people who are narcissistic do not change and it's the best advice you'll ever hear. You have to let that person be who they are. Your best shot at living your best life is to let them go 
and fade out and stop trying to fix them, they're not fixable. Mm -hmm. I know it sounds inhumane, it sounds harsh, but at that point, you have to look out for yourself. Mm -hmm. Whatever happens with them, that's between them and God, them and the universe. You can pray for them, you can send them good energy, whatever feels good to you, but you can't fix them and you're not meant to. You know how hard it is to change yourself? How hard is it to change somebody else who's not even willing to change or self-aware that they need to? How hard is it to just eat healthier when you know you should and you want to, right? But trying to convince somebody else to do that when they don't think they have a problem and there's no reason for them to do that, you will kill yourself from the inside out. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm. In saying that, I think um, one thing to add is that a lot of times what I have heard the reason that women stay is partially because we're... We, no, we, okay. Because she is so empathetic. Yes. And this can be tricky for women who have done any type of inner work and trauma work and have the languaging of trauma work. I can imagine how that would be like the perfect storm because, oh, I see that your inner child is really neglected and I have compassion for that. And I'm just going to love him into the man that you're intended to be again. I'm just using men because we said majority of these cases are men. But... I'm just going to love you into, you know, give you the love that you didn't get and pray that you grow into the person that you're intended to be. And that is inner work. And I think also just from my clients and my own experience, the turning towards yourself when you're looking at your partner's stuff Mm -hmm. is the hardest turn you will make. Mm. And so in this dynamic where there is a disproportionate amount of give and take happening, I can imagine that is like peeling your skin off, like just Mm -hmm. excruciating. You become a shell. Yeah. Like I'm in this body, but am I here? Yeah. Where am I in here? Yeah. 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 To turn towards yourself and focus on the work that you need to do to grow yourself and commit Mm -hmm. to your path. I mean, that's hard in normal situations, much less when there is like psychological Mm -hmm. damage and intentional damage happening a hundred percent yeah you can't love them enough to change it's not possible and i love that you brought up the point of if you have this background uh because that was my experience and so many of my clients you know my degree is in psychology and so i was like oh he has ptsd i can help him with that i understand all about this Again, laughing because it's like, oh, why did I do that to myself? Mm-hmm. You know? Because mm-hmm. um, you have language for it. You have skill set. And then they want you to rescue them. And you want to rescue them. Mm-hmm. But they keep creating the problems for you to rescue them from, to play on their attachment style. And then they blame it on you. Mm-hmm. So yeah. your best bet is to bet on yourself and fade them out. Can you help them? Theoretically, Yes. <laughs> Should you and do you need to put yourself on the line like that? Not in a healthy, empowered yeah. dynamic. That's the reality. A healthy, empowered dynamic, will the help will be received yeah. and it will adjust and, and rise then, with you. Yes, and build that person. But that's the thing is like, can you really help them? No, because they'll like the attention of you doting on them and so they'll stay in the victim mode and suck you dry. You become their supply. Mm-hmm. Nothing ever actually, what Courtney's saying is like with an empowered person, it feeds them, builds them up. There's a ROI on the investment of your energy of supporting each other. With narcissism, it's a bottomless tank 
of continually depleting yourself to try to fix and save and help them where nothing is actually fixed or saved. If that makes sense. Wow. That's it. Mic drop. That's all we've got to say without getting into too much context and nuance. Yeah. And I imagine that is, there's probably a lot of that. And I would say Brie is a genius when it comes to navigating that. Um, Yeah. If it's something that's resonating, I imagine that a lot of these are very validating for people. And if it is something that is resonating with you, two thoughts on it. Mm. One, take what you need in terms of the validation. Get some extra support either Mm -hmm. mental health professional, someone that's been through it, experiential wisdom is golden when it comes to healing and reopening in my experience, Mm. uh, just in terms of general well-being. But also um, notice within yourself if there's areas where you are able to grow new skill sets so that you're not in that position again? Are there parts of you that need to be bolstered Mm -hmm. and brought online so that, not so you can protect yourself Mm -hmm. in a guarded sense, but so that you have the words and the language to speak accurately and discern. Use it as a a discernment tool. 100%. And there's so much self-growth that will come from this. And Mm -hmm. not to be a positive patty, because I'm not that person. But... There's so much self-growth that comes from this journey, the healing journey of leaving. You get to become the most empowered version of yourself. And Mm. I just wouldn't be who I am today or with the partner I have or no healthy love the way that I know it now had I not gone through that. And so, you know, Mm. there are lots of parts of me that just see, I I just don't regret it Mm. as fucked up as it sounds. And I think only people who've been through it and have done the healing work will understand that statement Mm -hmm. because when you're too deep in it or close to it oh that statement is terrible to hear it's like it's kind of like well fuck you Brie yeah (laughs) and and that's okay if you feel that way you can throw out that piece just yeah just listen to the episode not that part (laughs) yeah 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 Mm. Mm. okay if this resonates and you want our support we do have a master class coming up on healing through your triggers you want to tell the people a little bit about that? Yeah. If this is, yeah, if this is something that's resonating and you're realizing like, wow, sometimes I find myself acting that way or sometimes my partner acts that way and it really triggers me. Mm. Not full-blown NPD mm-hmm. here. That's the caveat to this class. We're not <laughs> saying that, yeah. that that is um, what we're talking about. But a lot of times our triggers can be very impactful in terms of our growth path. They hold the key to our next level of evolution and emotional maturity. Mm-hmm. And when we know how to navigate those in an empowered way and not succumb to them and get sucked back into the survival narrative that we'd been living in, we actually get a new vantage point of ourself and of our partner. Mm-hmm. So we can come out of that drama triangle that we had been in maybe in our partnership and start to see things with a more empowered lens, either how he's behaving or how she's behaving, how I'm behaving, how you're behaving. You can see things differently and you can have that awareness work for you instead of um, letting it collapse within you. So that's kind of what we're going to be talking about is empowering yourself using your triggers. We've got some tools. Both of us work very somatically that we will be giving you some very tangible ideas of how to navigate that and what to do with the information when you have it. 
I think that's the most impactful to keep moving towards healthy relationships and being the healthiest version of yourself. Mm. To me, that is gold. 100%. And if you love it, you'll have it for life. Mm -hmm. If you come live, you get the recording. And then if you decide you want to go deeper, Courtney and I both have extensive, immersive Mm. programs to support you in moving more in depth and also more broadly mm-hmm. um, from wounded to empowered feminine or masculine. Courtney has a program for men energy. Mm-hmm. I have soft and secure. You have arise and mm-hmm. rooted, which is for men, which are all programs designed to graduate people from yep. wounded to empowered. Yep. So you could reach out to either of us, but yeah. this is a great way to get a taste for, do I want something like that? Or do I just need a little skill set to bolster me? Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Love it. And it's live class. And we do not hold back. If you come live, we are here full front, like full oh, frontal. Is that what you were going to say? No, I was going to say front and center. Your, your front and center is yes. what I was going to say. Um, you get both of our eyes on what's happening for you. You get all yeah. of the best discernment and the best feedback if it is live. So mm-hmm. I always love live. but Me too. And if they're small glasses to begin with, you got a lot of Q&A time, friends. Oh, I mean. We're here to pour into you with support. Talk about ROI. Mm, Truly. So all the details are in the show notes as well as ways to contact Courtney or I if you would Mm -hmm. like support. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're here with coaching programs and and things of that nature. If you love the episode, please share it with somebody that you love and talk about this stuff. Mm. It's so important to talk about it. Rate the episode five stars or whatever you feel is fair and appropriate, but it really helps us rank in the categories. <laughs> We're so integrity-based as people. It's like, please rate us five stars, but don't only do it if you really want to. <laughs> All right. And we will see you next week. Bye.